0: Welcome to the Scottish podcast by Scottish people about Scottish things. We're three lifelong friends and displaced Scotsmen who get together to talk about our homeland, the weird stuff that happens there, and to remind us why we are the way we are. Welcome to This'll Do
1: Nicely. It's shy being Scottish! with the lowest of the law! The scum of the fucking earth! The most wretched... Miserable, servile, pathetic trash that was ever shat to civilization. Some people hate the English. I don't. They're just wankers. We, on the other hand, are colonised by wankers. Can't even find a decent culture to be colonised by. We're ruled by a few assholes. It's a shite state of affairs to be in, Tommy, and all the fresh air in the world won't make any fucking difference.
0: Well, gentlemen. <laughs> well,
2: your, well said. Your Your thoughts... <laughs> never never a three word spoken. It's <laughs> an intrinsic one Wow. I mean Strong
3: strong stuff. Very strong stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh that
0: was Obi-Wan Kenobi in his <laughs> new <laughs> spin-off um Disney Plus. Star Wars series. has gone really Disney- dark.
3: <laughs> uh, D- Disney Plus like really do take chances. I'll give it to them.
0: Yeah, they're pushing the envelope. Um well, you, look. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's
2: story with Rory and uh, taking the piss with Chris. Yes, and let, let's all get bonny with Johnny. Yes, yes, we're doing it. Do we, it. We've we got to do, to do this every, this every time?
3: time? <laughs> can we not? Can, can we like shorthand it? I thought uh, it was just
2: the last one for a bit of fun, and now it's back to. Whoa! Well, all know. right. Can
3: we? Can, can we? Can we? Like do? Can we just do the first one and the last one? So just be like, welcome to today's boner with Rory. <laughs> Sorry, did I get that wrong?
0: That's what I say every night when I come into the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the cat,
3: the cats, the cats start pawing it. Oh,
0: no, no, there, no, no. Okay, let's get on to, let's talk about something more savory like the drug problem and heroin use in the 80s Scotland. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was a quote from the '90s, early '90s film *Train Spotting*. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. That was Hugh McGregor explaining his character's thoughts on what it's like to be Scottish. I guess. Yeah. Would you guys agree with him? I mean, uh, not n- yes and no. Like yeah. it's uh,
3: it's 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 very difficult to explain <laughs> to people. Because Scotland is very patriotic at times, but at the same time, it does have this massive inferiority complex, especially when it comes to England. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's times when you just do feel a bit like, what have we got going for us? <laughs> Yeah. At the bad the bad times, like when, when you hit a low, I mean, Trainspotting is a film very much all about the lows. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah it's 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 not a
2: black and white answer rory it's a gray area
0: i i would have to agree with you yeah it can definitely be shite being scottish sometimes
2: that's the thing i think we take great we sort of take a lot of joy in disparaging ourselves and like yes enjoying that grimness because we're sort of secretly all a bit proud of it
0: i yeah exactly i think it's a case of where that's why everybody just loved that speech so much i think especially in scotland like so many people quote the the whole choose life positive note at the end of that film whereas being a scottish podcast i think what resonates a little bit more is that speech you know in the middle of nowhere just complaining about what it's like to be scottish but uh it's all very much yeah taking the piss i guess <laughs> it's
2: very familiar isn't it
0: yeah well, yeah. Okay, we're, we're going to be talking about Trainspotting, uh, released in 1996. Uh, you know, a hugely popular, critically acclaimed film. It very quickly became one of Britain's most profitable films of all time. Uh, and, you know, regularly tops the best British film lists or, or movies to see before you die. But yeah, we wanted to talk about it. Or, uh, you know, I thought it was a good topic just because it is kind of, I think it is really important to us and our culture,
3: and I think well, well. Also, sorry to interrupt, no. Rory, but in truth, in truth, this will do nicely. Uh, canon, we missed the anniversary <laughs> of it. Yeah, that's uh, right. t- yes, which it was the twenty fifth, twenty fifth anniversary of the release of the film two weeks ago. I think by the time this podcast goes out, two or three weeks. Yeah, so you yeah. know, again, fashionably late.
2: We wouldn't have it any other way. Right.
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's just there's something. We've spoke, spoken about Braveheart. We we talked about um, Sean Connery and some of his films, but there's something about Train Spotting. It's kind of up there in terms of Scottish films. When you mention that you're Scottish, uh, especially in America or pretty much anywhere abroad, one of the first things that people refer to is Train Spotting. At least for me, and it's weird because it's so oh it's 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 a pretty rough film in terms of this subject matter yeah i mean it's
2: it's so dark right in a way that like if you read about it online you've not seen it that people talk about it in words like oh it's bleak and raw and it's warped and dark but at the same time they're like but it's funny and it's magnificent and it's a great movie and it's iconic and it's and i think it sits in that thing where it's very of a time like very associated with like the music scene of the time and the Mm. drug scene in scotland and and all those Mm. things so it's it's definitely not like an uplifting film necessarily but i think it i mean i'm a big fan of it to be honest
0: yeah me too and i think you know before it came out all other scottish movies or movies Scot set in scotland tended to be about you know set in the the glens and the highlands and the roman and the gloman and all that sort of <laughs> stuff and train spotting just seemed for especially for us who lived in who grew up in glasgow and you know in the urban areas it, it seemed more real it seemed more what scottish life actually was and for a lot of scottish people i think it's what they saw and what they experienced and what they lived pretty much every day so
3: Plus, when it came out, we were age ten and eleven, I think, and obviously all three of us were gripped in a fairly devastating heroin addiction <laughs> at the time too, and it really yeah. helped us get through some dark, dark times. So
0: yeah, I mean that, that was like, nice. Like America, they they gave children milk. Uh, in Scotland, we got smack and, and needles <laughs> in a lunchbox. <laughs> yeah um yeah it's weird i I just find it weird because i think it did kind of shatter some of the scottish stereotypes of everybody kind of on top of a hill wearing a kilt but at the same time it just created a bunch of new stereotypes of people just being off their tits and heroin and and Mm. like robbing everybody um fascinating <laughs> let's from. be
3: honest though as far as stereotypes go compared to that and brave train spotting is a lot more accurate
0: yeah yes yes that's the thing there's not going to be a lot of factual inaccuracies that are mentioned here because train spotting is way way more accurate when when did you do you guys remember
2: seeing it when you first saw it i don't know what age i was i remember i think my sister had it on a like VHS tape that I ended Mm. up seeing at some point in time but I I can't really I remember sort of watching it thinking oh I'm not supposed to be watching this and so it was probably like extra shocking at the time um but I don't quite know what age I would have been and then I've seen it a bunch of times since like more recently as well which it's kind of interesting watching it now (laughs) after a while I remember the
3: uh the advertising campaign when it first came out uh cuz the the billboards were all over it yeah. was so very kind of effective the five uh mm-hmm. five characters all kind of lined up like a prison lineup almost and i, I remember being very intrigued as to what this film was about but yeah. obviously didn't see it for several years after and probably didn't see it until university i can't actually remember top of my head yeah god i do remember that the the advertising was
2: it. was amazing. It. Yeah, Do you know I read a thing yeah. about that the other day that was saying I think they really deliberately briefed like an agency that was not in the world of film production because like there's so many kind of go-tos of like oh you put the character on the poster and you put a big name at the top and all that yeah. stuff and so they went to a company who had not done that stuff to really deliberately make it feel very different and it was I mean, everyone knows it now because it's become so recognizable and so iconic and repeated now (laughs) a million times. But at the time, there was just absolutely nothing that looked like it. That sort of like hazard orange and like the lineup, like Chris says, and like even that shot of Hugh McGregor where he's sort of dripping wet in reference to the toilet. I mean, it's amazing, amazing like campaign around it, I think, that sort of set it apart in people's minds before they'd even seen the film. Yeah,
0: no, I I
2: I completely agree. And we'll definitely come come back to that because it's
0: yeah, the, the advertising campaign was huge and iconic. But all right, to give you a wee bit of the background of the the film. Um so the the writer was based on a book um of the same name. The writer was Irvin Welsh, who's this very prolific Scottish writer, um been writing for you know, since the early nineties. This was actually his first book. Um I think we'll probably probably eventually do an episode on him I haven't yet read any of his books just for no reason other than it's just like oh, I, I'll, I'll obviously get around to it but um, he was born in Leith, Edinburgh, 1958 um, and he'd written a bunch of novels, he has written a bunch of novels about Scotland, uh, a lot of the times he, he writes in the Scots language or, and uses a lot of the Scots dialect so I think for people outside of Scotland it can be quite um, difficult to get into but is also what makes him so popular in Scotland because it's nice reading in a way that, uh, you know, people speak and you, you hear other people speak. But Spotting* was his first novel, so it was released in 1993 and it quite quickly became, uh, you know, a cult hit uh, amongst, you know, readers, I don't know what I'm saying. Um so he <laughs> he does actually eventually ar- ar- aristocrats. Aristocrats. Yeah. <laughs> he eventually appears in the film. He actually has a cameo as a drug dealer which is, you know, unsurprising there's about 45 of them in the film. So along with him, the the book was adapted by John Hodge, uh, who's a Glasgow-born guy, and he's a longtime collaborator with the director, Danny Boyle. Kind of together they did things like uh, the film Shallow Grave, which I'll mention in a second, and the film Beach, which is kind of one of the more popular ones that he did later on. And John Hodge also wrote the sequel to Trainspotting T2 so that's that's the guys that wrote it and danny boyle is a director like i mentioned and he's hugely famous now i actually assumed he was scottish for a long time because and we've talked about other films in this podcast and this is the first film that is predominantly filmed in scotland with a scottish cast and a scottish crew and scottish subject which is great i think that's why it's important but I did because of that and because his previous film was Shallow Grave which is again a Hugh McGregor film set in Edinburgh with you know predominantly scottish cast as well Shallow Grave's a phenomenal film by the way I highly recommend going and checking it out but I I always assumed he was scottish but he's actually born in Manchester in the 50s to irish parents um, and just for whatever reason like built this kind of creative team with John Hodge uh, there's a producer, I, I think it's Andrew McDonald, I'll mention him later on, and then you McGregor, they kind of came together and started working together a lot, tackling a lot of Scottish subject matter. So he has now gone on to direct things like 28 Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, uh, he did Steve Jobs, that's the fastbender one.
3: Did he He did he win an Oscar for Slumdog? I know I Slumdog cleaned up at the Oscars. I think
0: so, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's hugely, hugely successful now. He also did that weird Olympics opening ceremony. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah, that's right. I remember making a massive deal of that.
0: Was that the one with the sheep and the people dressing as...
3: Yeah, the one with the queen jumping out of the helicopter. That's oh, right, is James that... Bond. With-
0: that
2: was it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was weird. <laughs> it was mad. It was like so quintessentially British. It was great, like completely bonkers <laughs> and really kind of quaint all at the same time. <laughs> but I like him. I like his stuff. Like he has this
0: energy to him. And I think anybody else handling the subject matter, Johnny, to your point, it's really dark and it's gritty and realistic and blah, 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 blah. But he has this very unique, um, way of filming scenes and and you know moments, and it's very stylized in certain areas. You know, we'll, we'll talk about certain in, individual scenes that are very very cool in Train Spotting, but he has these fast cuts, and the the he's very good at choosing music and soundtracks to fit in with his films. So I think. Him being the director made it hugely. It was hugely important to the success of the film because without somebody like that, the subject matter could just be horrendous and really a massive bummer. But I think he did well. So the cast: uh, Hugh McGregor, Obi Wan Kenobi. He stars as Renton. So he did. He'd been working with Danny Boyle, as I said before. He did Shallow Grave. You know, we were, we were, we've been talking in a while about doing a Ewan McGregor episode. We will do that. He is one of our most famous Scots at the moment. So we're going to talk about him
2: soon. Very versatile. Yeah. I I find it so funny. I watched it again, both of them actually, the first and second one this week. And like seeing him in that first one, even just the, the sort of shape of him in it, he's so skinny and he Mm. looks awful in a brilliant way like he's so well done he he, He just looks like a heroin addict
3: (laughs) i was shocked at how skinny and and ill he looked yeah
2: Uh, well considering how handsome
0: he is and he's got amazing hair and then yeah he shaves his head he slims down he's in his like mid-twenties at the time and that that poster you're talking about
3: I read a bit of trivia that said that he actually nearly considered taking heroin yes. uh, to like research for the role, and I just—I'm <laughs> glad he didn't. I think, that was, <laughs> I think his career would have had a very different uh, <laughs> trajectory if he had done that.
0: I don't even know if like uh, Daniel Day would go that far. That's that's a step. Yeah, that is. Yeah. A lot. Um, he did. Uh, he did slim down for the role. He, I can't remember how much he lost, but he said that his the way he slimmed down was he drank gin instead of beer and grilled all his food. And I was just <laughs> like, "Okay, oh, I could do. I could. I could do that. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, it sounds fairly doable. It's like, all right, we'll just. I cut out beer, so I'm gonna still get a drink. <laughs> it's,
2: uh, it's yeah, G and T is just a G and G. Gin and, yeah, exactly. Gin and Grill, Gin and Grill.
0: But yeah, I just think it's amazing that he was in this film where he is this thief, junky, skinny, ill looking, and then literally three years later, he's Obi Wan Kenobi in Episode <laughs> yeah.
2: One. It's so funny knowing his recent stuff that going back to it, it's just so sh- is sort of doubly shocking mm-hmm. seeing him again because. Even that, I think it's like the opening scene where he's kind of falling backwards, like just like the sh- his mannerism in it. And like he yeah. just looks terrible and like so skinny and awful. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it
0: wouldn't. It's just so bizarre that this is the start of his career. And then he goes on to like sing show tunes in Paris <laughs> with Nicole Kidman or whatever. Like, it's just fascinating.
3: I mean, I, I would argue that this is the highlight of his career and that everything else since then has been <laughs> shite. <laughs> i I mean that christopher that christopher robin film had me in tears but it was not good i haven't seen that one don't watch on a plane
0: no god no no that was
3: a mistake i made
0: um (laughs) yeah i can't there's nothing that jumps out like i liked him as obi-wan kenobi those are just terrible films yeah this is arguably and again shallow grave is brilliant i would highly recommend watching that he stars in that as well so along with him there's ewan bremner who's spud and he's the weird looking one the the incredibly Scottish weird looking one, um, who's done very well yeah. for himself. He was he's in like Wonder Woman, the, the f- not the most recent one, but the previous one. He's in like Black Hawk Down and stuff like that. He pops up quite a lot. But he McGregor
3: in Black Hawk Down as well, isn't he?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Good point. He's yeah, like yeah, yeah. everybody's in that film. So Spud actually played Renton in the stage adaptation of the f- the the book before the film came out. And if you remember back to our Jared Butler episode, it was that stage adaptation that was what I'm looking for inspired Butler to then go on and uh-huh. become an actor. Full circle. Exactly. So Spud really should turn up
3: in one of the Has Fallen films <laughs> as a sort oh, of. God, that'd be amazing. Thank you. Yes. It's coming
2: out, isn't it? Next year. Um, hey
3: gb gB gals if you're listening let's uh <laughs> let's get a campaign going for you and Bremner in the next has fallen film okay <laughs> he deserves it he does he deserves it he steal he steals the show on train spotting the best scene of it is him the job interview scene
2: that is very good uh, that it's
3: is a quick. phenomenal you scene
1: you mean that you lied on your application no well yeah oh yes I only had to get my foot in the door I should have been that like but you were referred here by the department of employment there was no need for you to get your Foot in the door, as you put it. Yeah, cool. Whatever you say, man, sorry. You're the man, the dude in the chair. I am merely here. Like, we well, obviously are here, like, but... Mr Murphy, what exactly attracts you to the leisure industry? In a word, Pleasure. Like, my pleasure and other people's pleasure. Uh. <laughs> Oh
0: god, he could just be, be Jerry's sickly brother or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, so so he he was Renton. He was a you McGregor character in the state adaptation. But when they went to make the film, they're like, ah, we're gonna go with the much, much better looking Scotsman than you you, you. and sorry. So along with him, they also had Robert Collier, which was a big get because you know he's a very experienced Scottish actor. He is just constantly working you people will definitely recognize him when they see him i think probably like he was in full monte which was another british film which was pretty popular over here in america he's currently in uh once upon a time which is that like fairy or maybe it's finished now but it was that like fairy tale he plays rumple Siltskin, i think he was also in 20 weeks later um but yeah you would you'd know him if you see him uh he plays yeah, he pops he's up in a lot of stuff phenomenal yeah. character we'll get he is am- a he is amazing in it He's uh um, he's a, he's in a
3: he's a bad guy in one of the Bond movies as well, isn't he?
0: Oh yeah think. yeah, the guy that can't feel any pain. I don't remember what film it is, but I remember that. That's uh
3: Karen Cair- Karen Terrier Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: Then we got Kevin McKidd, who's basically brand new. That was the first time he plays Tommy. He is the voice of the Scottish guy in Call of Duty. He was in Dog Soldiers, which Johnny and I spoke about in our film recommendation episode. And he is in... Is he the guy in Grey's Anatomy?
3: Yeah, so that that was a moment for me last night. You know how occasionally people have... They're like, oh my God, I can't believe that's that guy. Like, he... I, I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, but uh, my wife does. Uh, so, you know, certainly seen it in, in the background a fair amount. He's uh, the ginger doctor in Grey's Anatomy, who I just always assumed was some American dude. He's been in it for years. I think Grey's Anatomy has been going... It's in its 68th season. My uh. God. Uh, it's been going on since World War II. <laughs> Um But, uh, yeah, that's him. And it was like one of those, like... Jesus, that's that guy! Wow, like he he just the penny never penny never dropped for me until last night when I watched it.
0: That's that's he must have just like finished *Train Spotting* and then started filming *Grey's Anatomy*. He's never left. I'd I'd
3: have to I'd have to look at his filmography, but yeah, yeah, I mean, he's been in *Grey's Anatomy* for a long time.
0: My my favorite part about him, reading about him during this whole thing, is that poster that we've talked about a lot—the famous one where it's the the lineup. Of all of them, he's not in that if you if you notice. Mm. Um and the reason for that is he just went on holiday. He, like <laughs> everybody was called for it and he was on holidays and they, they the budget was so tight that they just took those photos of everybody, put it into the poster and he never got one, so it was never in the poster.
2: Oh, you gotta be annoyed about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Poor Kevin McKid, but I hope the holiday was nice.
2: Anyway. Uh and then
0: the last well two more to go uh johnny lee miller who plays sick boy he's the only primary cast member who's not scottish but has honestly an incredible scottish accent in it you wouldn't know yeah he is probably or at least at the time was probably one of the most famous globally because he was just out of hackers uh you remember that really shitty 90s computer hacking type of movie i think it's angelina jolie and other people he might have married angelina jolie He yeah he did he did marry right like he
3: he he definitely had a moment Johnny Lee
0: yeah and now now he's one of the he's another Sherlock Holmes he plays Holmes uh, opposite Lucy Liu's Doctor Watson in Elementary yes
3: which which was actually I haven't watched it in a while but it was quite entertaining when I when I did and then um, you know watched the the Cumberbatch version of it and just decided Cumberbatch version was far superior, so it ruined yeah. it for me. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> and then, finally, the last is Kelly McDonald, who plays Diane. She was 19 at the time, playing a 14-year-old. She is probably most famous for being the ghost in Harry Potter, the Ravenclaw ghost in the last film. And she does the voice of your favourite Film Brave, Chris. I know you love it, and you watch it every week.
3: So is um So is the Doctor from Grey's Anatomy. He's in Brave as well.
0: Yeah, I think I think every Scotsman who has a voice, except for the three of us, was in Brave. <sighs> yeah, we would have been perfect for the wee triplets that turn <laughs> into a bear. I'd have I'd
3: have declined, <laughs> not even not even politely. Just You're so- the
2: one that went on holiday, <laughs> didn't get in the show.
3: Uh, yeah, you'd be fine with that.
2: So
0: the movie itself, based on the wildly popular Irvine Welsh book that came out in 93, and in the 90s I don't know, I was thinking about this. Like drugs, drug in pop culture, I think were were very commonplace and kind of accepted. But heroin is still like crazy scary, still outside the mainstream. And so I still think it was enough to kind of capture people's attention and get people interested in it.
2: I read a great review that just said serves serves as a better drug prevention than most of the drugs prevention programs. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah, it does.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, so so the, the one of the people that I guess it captured the attention of was the producer of Shallow Grave, Danny Ball's previous film, Andrew McDonald, who read the book on a flight and basically turned up to Boyle and Hodge, the writer, and said you know, this should be our next project. So while Hodge was rearranging the novel, which is essentially a collection of short stories into a cohesive narrative that could be kind of fit into a 90-minute film, McDonald and Boyle spent months basically fighting for the rights to make the the book into a film. And it wasn't that Welsh didn't want them to do it. It was just that another production company had happened to actually bought it. By... 1995, they were able to secure the rights and start production. Their budget was only 1.5 million British pounds, um, which was being financed by Channel 4. And the cast that I mentioned came together pretty quickly, obviously starting with McGregor and then everybody else kind of coming in after that. Kelly McDonald, they actually found in a club in Glasgow.
1: <laughs>
0: so they were looking for somebody old enough to play the character but fresh-faced i think was the word that they used and somebody that nobody else would know um so yeah they just happened to bump into her in a, in a club and asked her to come and interview uh, not interview what's it called
2: all right love do you want to be in my film
0: <laughs> yeah it's all a bit creepy there's, there's some smack in it for you <laughs> <laughs> well apparently she she was talking about the fact that during filming if they had like big gaps between the scenes all the the like main cast would just go to a pub and start drinking and everybody knew their limit knew how much they could drink and all that type of stuff obviously they went overboard but she didn't she was just a wee like she was 19 years old so she'd only been drinking i mean she's scottish so for about (laughs) five or six years by that age um, but she said she would just kind of regularly turn up to scenes wrecked or having to hide in the toilet because she'd been sitting in the pub all day drinking too much with them, which was great.
3: That would probably make her character a little bit more realistic. To yeah, her, so, you <laughs> yeah know. I think so. That's just her going Me- method.
0: <laughs> Eventually, filming starts primarily in Glasgow, although the film is set in Edinburgh, and. The marketing campaign kicks off, so I'll talk about that in a second. But the the movie itself was released in um, February 1996. I'm going to give a very short synopsis of what the film is, just a brief overview. So it's about a group of friends living and surviving in Edinburgh in the late 80s. Uh, most of whom are regular heroin users. The story focuses on Ewan McGregor's character Renton, who throughout the film is trying to kick his habit only to fall back on the, uh, fall back off the wagon multiple times. We are shown his various misadventures along the way. Film ends when he moves to London to get away from his friends. He attempts to get clean and start fresh, but not long after they follow him and there's a plan to make a chunk of money with one big drug deal. The movie ends with Renton realizing that the only way you can properly survive is to get away from these guys for good. So he steals the money from the deal and chooses life. Spoiler alert. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Spoiler alert wow, and that's that's the plot. But the plot is, I just it's kind of secondary, isn't it? It doesn't really matter. Yes, and
0: I think this is where it gets most interesting. So yeah, we talked about the marketing campaign. I want to take a second for that because one of the things that they did was um they were giving out uh, these infamous posters that we've talking about uh, in exchange for British Rail tickets. And I think it was that like just tying into the whole train spotting portion of it. And I guess, you know, you can't you can give out posters with real tickets, but you can't really give out posters with your heroin deal. <laughs> so that makes more yeah, sense. True. Very true. But the, mo- the movie itself is, in my opinion, like phenomenal. I, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but there's just some incredible scenes. I mean, we've spoken about the the shape being Scottish, but you know what else what 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 one's
2: kind of stick in head? To- i face? mean the the toilet one's yeah. like big moment right <laughs> it's so gross um but it's so it i mean that it's when you think of the film there's probably that's up there
0: alongside
2: yeah. like baby on the ceiling <laughs> probably yeah. i would say well the the
0: toilet scene is just very cool in the sense of, I think it's a practical effect. It's for those that don't know, we're talking about the one where uh, Renton uh, goes to take a shit, forgets he has heroin suppositories and then digs around in the toilet to get it. But that ends up in this kind of surreal scene where he is diving and swimming through into the toilet. And then Turns around and is this like magical realism that it comes in yeah. and out of the film?
2: I think there's something in the first one, particularly where they got that balance really right. Where it gets yeah. like it sort of gets really trippy, but in a way that's not kind of to try. Detract- I find the second one a bit like it was trying to kind of rehash that a bit and not quite hitting it right. Whereas the first one, I think the like you said earlier, like the the stay the stylistic treatment of scenes in it are kind of so hyper real in a way and like over Mm. the top and slightly like mad but it's kind of amazing and like you end up in these kind of odd worlds like him swimming (laughs) through this kind of crazy space and then appearing back out of the toilet seat i i actually
3: to go the other way my favorite scenes are the ones that are rooted in reality that Mm. primarily involve begbie um, Robert <laughs> yeah. Carlyle's character yeah. Yeah. Um, who for me is the most magnetic character in, in the whole film and I've thought that for years and it only confirmed it again watching it again last night just the sheer general violence that he portrays even when he's sitting down <laughs> uh, you've, every, it, everybody just feels uncomfortable even when he's telling a story just it, it, he I've always liked him as an actor but I've never seen any like that him in that sort of menacing way and the the scene that stands out for me with him it's when he's telling the story about how he was playing pool and then throws the pint glass yeah. over his head just to get in a fight with people and and it and it cuts a, a woman you hear a woman screaming and he it's goes downstairs and, and says and uh, says all right this uh, this lassie's been glassed and we're not leaving until this C words. <laughs> <laughs> we find out which C word did this, and he goes
1: ballistic. Begbie didn't do drugs either. He just did people. That's what he got off on. His own sensory addiction. he got blasted. No
3: C words.
1: to we find out what
3: C words. But
1: who the fuck are you? Yeah.
3: scene And then the scene when you actually find out what happened at the snooker hall, and there's just a whole bunch of other ones with him. Every time he was on the screen in the film, I couldn't look away. Yeah, I
2: he's got a I, crazy I, energy in it. He just yeah. exudes off him in, yeah. a, in a really quite terrifying way.
3: He's the only one that doesn't do drugs in it as well, which is just
2: well, hilarious. yeah. I mean, he sits there with his on his
0: seventh pint, telling people to don't. I I wouldn't put any of that shit in my body. <laughs> Yeah. but it's definitely a, he. he I, I think you're right like in terms of characters he's definitely one of the most fascinating ones for so many reasons he's so realistic I think all of us having lived maybe especially in Glasgow but in Scotland have, have met somebody like him that just is full of anger and like after a couple of drinks you're always keeping your eye on them because you're like I don't I don't know what's going to happen. Like I don't know mm. what's going to set him ner- off.
3: Nervous energy that,
0: yeah. that he brings yeah. there, the and area. and Carlisle just embodies it perfectly. But um, Chris, you haven't seen the second, and we're not going to talk so much about the second one because I think we're talking about like I guess the first one's like a cultural, like what's the word I'm looking for, like stepping stone. But uh, the second one is it just, it's just is still good, but it's not quite as good, but beg is a big deal in the second one um because it's almost like a revenge story in terms mm. of it is you mcgregor coming back and them, even though it's 20 years later they haven't forgiven him and he is still as angry he's still as violent like one of the first scenes he's in he's in prison and is and attacks his lawyer because his lawyer tells him he's like not going to get out on parole or something like that but one of the things that is uh, is not very overt in the film is Irvin Welsh says that the reason that he's so angry is that he is, uh, and like he's a not not out the closet uh, homosexual, like he's gay, but because of the situation, the time and where he lives and the people he hangs out with he doesn't feel like he can come out and he is just full of rage and that's how it comes out and it's it's referred to more in the second film as well
3: there is a scene in the first one when uh he starts making out with uh with a transsexual and gets really really angry about it
0: Mm. i don't remember that one
3: and then mcgregor makes a joke about it when they're talking later and and he gets him up against the wall and threatens to cut his balls off. And again, it's just like that vicious violence Mm. of like, Oh my God, like he could do anything here. This is nuts.
0: Yeah. No, it's, uh, I I think you're right. Like he is, he's one of the most appealing. He's also, so he, in the book, he's written as a big guy. He's much taller. He's much more menacing looking I feel Robert Carlyle's stature as a smaller person is way more realistic. It's that we spent the last episode talking about terriers and how Scottish they are. <laughs> yeah. He is like the angry terrier. Just the power and rage inside this little body. Yeah, phenomenal. Johnny, you mentioned the death of <laughs> the dead baby scene. And there's two of them. There's two <laughs> yeah, that's right.
2: brutal scenes. Because there's like the the dead baby scene is just grim, and it's sort of—it's one of those moments where they're kind of, sort of hammering home the reality of people's attention with an addiction, because it's sort of like they don't care for the child, and the child dies effectively yeah. in a short way. Uh, so it's just a really like grim moment in the bleakest parts of the films. But then there's also a really mad part where I think he's trying to basically go cold turkey, right? And he's yeah. in his his childhood bedroom and he's sort of having hallucinations and visions and then this <laughs> really bad animatronic baby actually I was kind of laughing at watching it again because you can sort of tell the budget particularly now when we're so used to films being so highly polished that there's kind of this baby stuck to the ceiling kind of like crawling <laughs> crawling along yeah. towards him it's so and like creepy his head's though but yeah, it's so, so creepy it's terrifying Yeah, my, my, my
3: wife couldn't watch that uh, last night she'd never seen the film and then was getting distressed in the scenes when they were all shooting up and the babies in the background I and mean, you just mm-hmm. know something bad's going to happen yeah.
0: to
3: it we actually had we had to fast forward through those scenes because she was like nope, nope, <laughs>
2: yeah. nope. yeah
0: the the I cold turkey scene is genuinely terrifying uh and hugely famous it's been referenced multiple times in in other sort of films and tv shows but um I think the, the scene where they discover the baby is just, it encapsulates the kind of drug. Because I think that's part of what this film, I, I, like drugs are it, it is such a big part of it. It's not everything, but it's such a big part of it because it talks about like, it shows you them having, like taking drugs for fun and for escape and, and going to clubs and partying and all that type of stuff. And then it shows you this, you know, they obviously negate, neglect and they care more about the drugs than they do the baby and that's why the baby dies and then the moment it dies the first thing that they say is like oh let's take more heroin to then deal with it so it's mm. just like every side of that coin
2: yeah it's brutal it's really grim because all this stuff before that like you could argue it's slightly glamorized in a way that they're, they're sort of having fun and even like his first attempt at like going cold turkey it's kind of turns into a joke where he'd like goes out after like ten minutes after lining up those yeah. like Kansas soup and whatever. And then it gets to that and it's like, oh, this is actually gonna be talking a real way about heroin addiction and the consequences. It's yeah. like really bleak.
0: And then Pretty much. You also have the Sunday morning breakfast scene with Spud oh, as man, well. Oh uh,
3: I'd forgotten about that scene. Um I don't know because it's absolute you know, it's seared into my retinas now but <laughs> I mean, that's horrible. That do, you is to, horrible oh God.
0: do you want to describe it, Irvin?
3: Yeah, so Spud Two is basically the comic relief of the film. Uh, they all go to the club, and then he goes home with his girlfriend. Next morning, he wakes up, realizes he's had an accident in bed, gets up, and um, he goes through his girlfriend's with their parents, and they're all having breakfast. And he's like, "Oh, I've had a little accident." And the mum comes over and says, Don't worry, we've all been there. I'm, you know, I'll sort it for you. So like, No, I'd rather take care of it myself. And there's a back and forth, and you know exactly what's coming. But the, the sheets go out, and poop goes everywhere. <laughs> and it's just disgusting. It's so gross. It's
0: vile. Just splattering people's I mean, breakfast. That's, what,
3: oh, what more can you say, really? It's just. Uh, no, I know shocking state of affairs
0: yeah i mean it's f- yeah phenomenal again like you said it's kind of seared into your retinas that's see- that scene um but yeah i think look this is it's an interesting film in terms of the the drug use like you said talked about the dependency and the, the escape and stuff like that and it also mentions you know they talk about the socially acceptable addictions like alcohol and smoking and and You know, there's even points of like just people's obsessive behavior of sick boy is obsessed with Sean Connery and James Bond and talks about it all the time. Renton's mum talks about how she takes a Valium and like half a bottle of wine every night. It got a lot of shit for kind of almost portraying this heroine chic, but I think what it really did was portray addicts and people with addictions as humans as opposed to just like this other junky subculture subhuman people and i think it was like that's what appealed to to many people that were watching it is the humanization of those the the people that deal with addiction one of the things i do want to talk about is uh the the way it was received in america so it, it did very well in Scotland and Britain and kind of globally in general, it did pretty well. It also did very, very well in, in America. It was better than expected. Definitely better than I expected. It ended up making about uh sixteen and a half million dollars in ninety six. And it was actually one of the highest grossing like non-blockbuster movies of the year. So it was on limited release here, but still did very well. But people definitely struggled to understand it because of the language used um,
2: <laughs> Do you know i it made me laugh because i was looking to see if there was any like funny reviews and things and like the amount of stuff on amazon of people going oh well the description said it was in english but there's it's not it's like, <laughs> oh uh, actually unfortunately it is
0: yeah that's that's the thing it's well yeah it's in scots scots english um so they the book comes with a glossary. so when, it, when it's published over here, you can refer to, and I get that because there's a lot of like slang and specific Scottish dialect that you need to look up. Yeah. So I understand that. But the, the film, they actually ended up reshooting the first 20 minutes of it with their, with the actors softening their accents and slowing it down, basically to help the American audiences get accustomed to the dialect. And then after twenty minutes, it goes back to normal.
2: It's like this podcast. We always do an episode before we record, just to soften the <laughs> accents before we, you know, get into it. throw the R's away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, I know. I I didn't realize that as well. I don't know if I've ever which ones I've seen.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've
0: I've watched it over here and watched it at home, so I don't know if I've seen the softer version. Also. Uh, they, they so train spotting isn't a pastime isn't a hobby in America and so people just didn't get it so for those of you that maybe don't know train spotting is it's referred to as a pointless hobby but I think all hobbies are arguably pointless but it's basically people in Britain will go and watch trains and they'll flag what train has just passed them at what time and then they'll tell other people and they'll try and see certain rare trains and rare places or rare times. It's a weird hobby, definitely. But the yeah, point-
3: I, I, I would have. Ima- I would imagine that train spotting back in the day was probably a more rewarding thing because trains were different. Steam engines were different models. but yeah. all trains look the same. So I can't. I've, I I I remember I used to have to go through Clapham Junction, which was a very busy train station in London, uh, to go to work, and I would regularly see them, and I'd be like, well you just you guys are just looking at the same stuff all the time but maybe beauty is in the eye of the beholder i suppose so uh, yeah i mean you know, do what they do what they want
0: fair play to them but i mean apparently the 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 reason the book is named that is just again the obsession over something so it's the same way that these guys get obsessed with drugs and heroin other people get obsessed with trains or with sports or with james bond or whatever else you know <laughs> dumb stupid scottish podcast
2: <laughs> i i
3: i read some trivia that uh said that you talked about the soundtrack rory that um yeah lots of big bands were Iggy pops very a big part of it but apparently they approached oasis for <laughs> yes. uh to con- contribute to the um soundtrack and oasis who were the biggest band in britain at that point i think uh turned them down because they thought it was a film about train spotting and they didn't want their music to be associated with that brand. Yeah. although subsequently they then attended the premiere of the film once they realized what it was and that apparently created a lot of buzz and they yeah. and they have since gone on to say that they very much enjoy the film
0: i just think that's amazing just not even asking about it at all just like no nah, nah. <laughs> yeah yeah i would do an old gallagher impression but it'd be crap we'd we
3: don't we'd only fuck it up
0: so obviously in america being the prudish country that you are people were very upset by the drug use senator bob dole uh, who i think was running for president at the time actually was ranting about the film glorifying drug use uh, but then quickly had to admit that he'd never actually seen the film i think he'd only seen the trailer and then just went <laughs> off of that Uh, which just made me chuckle also weirdly the the sex scene between kelly mcdonald and ewan mcgregor had to be trimmed because kelly's character was seen as enjoying it too much (laughs) Uh, and to be fair i just like so this is a definitely a problematic scene because it's part of like she is underage he doesn't know it when he meets her. And then when he finds out the next morning, he is shocked, appalled and disgusted. And she ends up basically blackmailing him into keeping the relationship going. So it's a whole weird fucking situation with them. But yeah, I just thought it was funny that that was another one of the edits that was specific to American audiences. Um, You,
3: You also see in the film during that scene and during another scene, two penises. Yeah. You see Ewan McGregor's penis and you see Ewan Bremner's penis in uh, full frontal male nudity is still very rare and both and yeah. when it happened I was like, oh, oh but then I also <laughs> know Ewan McGregor always shows always shows his penis in films because it's enormous.
0: Yeah, I mean <laughs> yeah well I mean Q <laughs> <cue> lightsaber jokes. <laughs> the that's where he pulls the condom off his willy, right?
2: It's uh, quite because it's quite a graphic use. No, it's before that. It's when they're in the bedroom, I think, is it not? But you he see does. Tw- you
3: see a silhouette you see a silhouette of it, it makes it look like an elephant. I know that bit. <laughs> and then I think you see it another time.
0: I'm sure I'm sure he turns and you see him pull a uh, condom off because I just remember it being quite graphic and hearing the the whap noise. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Of it whooping off.
3: I, d- I d- did- you know, I don't I don't recall seeing that in the The thing I watched yesterday, but maybe it's the sanitized American version.
0: Maybe. Well, kids, go and Google Ewan McGregor pulling condom off penis, and then see what comes up. Okay, Alexa,
2: Google. In one of those other Amazon reviews, once someone wrote, um, "A more appropriate title would be Ewan McGregor's penis and a baby on the ceiling spotting." Don't go (laughs) looking for trends in this film, or you'll be disappointment spotting.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. It's accurate. I was somebody that was really looking forward to a movie about trains. Yeah, I really thought I was. About oh, I feel bad for them. That that's that's that, that's that's Train Spotting. Uh, there was a sequel release, like I said, T2 Train Spotting, uh, released in 2017. We're not going to get too much into it, but it was basically based on another Welsh um, novel called Porno, but a lot of it was you know original material from the same writer, director, and the principal cast. Pretty much all returned it was actually the first time like after multiple films together back at the beginning of their careers it was the first time that ewan mcgregor and boyle worked together again since like the mid-90s they had a falling out because leonardo dicaprio was cast as the lead guy in the beach and not ewan mcgregor so they stopped like talking apparently and it was like a whole studio thing. Like the beach was one of Boyle's biggest films. They forced Magre- uh forced DiCaprio on him, yada yada yada. But then they had to like reconcile, and this movie, Train Spotting Two, was the one that brought them together, which was nice. But it's like twenty yeah. years I later. I can't
3: believe I can't believe they foisted that hack DiCaprio on uh, Boyle <laughs> like that. I know, right? Couldn't couldn't act his way out of a wet paper bag.
0: I mean. <laughs> To be fair, Beach is terrible. I don't know if it's DiCaprio's fault, but it's not a good film. <laughs> and, yeah, anyway.
2: Is that the one with the sense soundtrack? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Johnny, you watched it. Like I watched just, it this week. this week. I hadn't right? seen it before, actually. I'd seen the first one a few times. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I thought it was fine. I found yeah. myself a bit up and down on it, and then halfway through it, I was like, oh, it must be near the end. And I was like, oh, it's only halfway through. Like It felt really long mm-hmm. to me. I just thought it was—it's really hard to get away from imagining Ewan McGregor in the context of everything he's done since. Like, you almost imagine the actor Ewan McGregor being the person that shows up because he looks so normal in it and like a (laughs) grown-up compared to the first one. Like, it's—it's quite shocking in the other way where he's so different because it's so many years later and he's obviously he's kind of in the story cleaned up in a lot of ways. I was interested that he it was the same director in a way because i i feel like some of it was just it's almost like kind of playing the hits a little bit of like trying to recreate some of the sense of the first one it does a lot of the the, those sort of shared camera moves and the little pauses and things and they're cool but it it's definitely not as good as i mean the first one's just this moment in time iconic film and the second one feels like oh we've got the gang back together (laughs) Let's
0: get yeah, another one out of it. it I, I agree. It just falls a bit flat, unfortunately. The story's interesting and I like the way what they did with it, but it doesn't have the energy and the excitement of the first one.
2: Yeah, um, I could definitely feel myself, be like, I was on my phone and stuff during it, like, I could feel yeah. I was a bit distracted, which is probably quite telling about how yeah. engaged I was with it. Um. So, yeah, go out
0: and see T2. Um <laughs> <laughs> No, it is it is good. It's worth it. It's just not nearly as good as the first one unfortunately. Um there is talk of a third one. Uh I don't know that. I mean there's a bunch of Irvin Welsh books out there. There's different ways that they can adapt it to fit the characters and all that type of stuff. So there's definitely a possibility of it. There's talk of a TV show. There is, which is the one that interested me the most is talk of a Begbie spin-off. I'd watch that.
3: Yeah, that'd be good. Just to just to bring it back to trains, um, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of uh, a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine recently, or the rebooted version of Thomas and Friends, as it's now known.
0: You're doing and your annual and, rewatch.
3: The, uh, what the thing I liked? Yeah, exactly. The thing I liked about the original Thomas was the grittiness of of the the different <laughs> trains and knowing you know what was like there was going to be an adventure and shit was going to go down. And I think just watching it back, seeing the band get back together, the trains are all a little bit older. They're all you know a little bit more Hollywood. Some of them have clearly had some Botox. Yeah, it just much like T two. It just leaves you feeling a little bit empty. Mm. You know, sorry, i so yeah.
0: That's a that's a shame. I'm sorry, bud.
3: I, I you know I still go watch it, go watch it. But it's just uh, you know it's not the same.
0: It's not the has same. has the controller has he finally dealt with his situation
3: he's he's definitely slimmed down
0: (laughs) (laughs) he needs to get more grilled and gin johnny any last
2: thoughts on train spotting or t2 heroin i I think he has lots of thoughts on heroin i mean it is pretty bleak particularly the first film like it's dark but it's one of those films in the list of the 100 films you've got to see in your life, it's got to yeah. be on there for sure. And I, th- I would encourage people to go and see it, even if you do fast forward through those slightly darker scenes, as Chris has alluded to. <laughs> irvin
3: I think, ultimately, it's good to see Thomas and Percy <laughs> and uh, James and Gordon and stuff back. But, you know, it just didn't do... Sorry, you were asking about train spotting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean oh, I'll...
3: oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Um my bad. Um
0: we'll, Yeah, we'll, no, we'll get I, back I mean to Thomas on our spin-off podcast.
3: I I I think um I think train spotting it's, it's it's an iconic film. It's an incredibly important film for Scotland. I feel like it puts Scottish film on the map and british film on the map when we'd been struggling for so long and as you said scottish films were about being in the glens and english films were all just shakespeare adaptations and all that Mm -hmm. crap and i think it paved the way there i think i thought it was quite striking watching it with elizabeth last night and she hated it and just (laughs) thought she she, when we watched she was like what what was the point what was the point of that film what what was the redeeming qualities (laughs) of it so i think we do romanticize it a little bit Um, and I think someone coming to it now for the first time may be shocked by it. And my question,
2: (laughs) what's the purpose of it?
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't think it does glamorize drugs, but at at times it has those moments when it makes it fun. And I just thought it was a really funny reaction from her as someone who didn't really know what it was about. She couldn't stand it. Couldn't wait to get it off the TV.
2: Also, shout out to Channel 4. I mean, I think over yeah. the years, amazing sort of bravery of backing and funding films like that. Like, they, they've got an amazing history of picking quite obscure creative ideas and pushing them. So I think it's a pretty amazing thing to get out there in the first place because it is pretty controversial.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, I think all I'll say is is definitely better than Braveheart. <laughs> Watch watch oh. oh, train spot another brave heart. Alright. Yeah. Renton's Renton's speech is much better than the freedom speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well with that, this will do lads. This'll do nicely. Also choose life.
1: <laughs> choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career, choose a family, choose a fucking big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact displays and electrical tin opens. <laughs> choose good health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a start to home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing fucking junk food into your mouth. <laughs> At all, pissing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked up brats that you've spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. Here but why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life, I chose something else. And the reasons? But I'm no reasons. Humanist reasons when you've got head on.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a couple more things. Please don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify and all other podcasting apps. You can email us at thistledonicelypod at gmail.com. Visit the website thistledonicelypod.com. Visit us on Twitter at do pod. All original music in this podcast is written and performed by our very own Johnny Naismith. Please like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at J-A-W underscore K-N-E-E underscore loves hugs and kisses from the Thistle Do Nicely pod.